Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast channel here on New Books Network. I'm the host of the channel, Dr. Christina Gessler, and today we're bringing you another pandemic perspective, this time from my guest, Claire Summerfield. Welcome to the show, Claire. Hi. I wonder if, to start us off, you would tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, my name's Claire, and I am originally from Illinois, born and raised um, in central Illinois. And I am currently living in Denver with my husband and our two cats, and I am a dual degree student at the University of Denver. Um, I'm getting my JD and a master's in art history and museum studies, and I am almost done, almost finished, so close. That is all very exciting news. What led you to those fields of study? Um, so um, in undergrad, I studied history and political science. And in my mind, I had always thought maybe I'd go to law school, maybe I'd want to be an attorney, but I didn't really know. And then I started taking some art history classes and I loved it. Like it was my favorite thing that I've studied. So I continued taking art history classes, and I actually ended up with a minor in art history. And then I graduated from undergrad, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I started working in a local museum. And again, I loved it. I um, did development. So grants, donors, things like that. And the more I worked in development, the more I realized that... um, museums and art history and law could intersect. And so I kind of like had this plan in my head that I'd go to law school and I'd get a degree in art history and I'd somehow combine the two fields. Um, So that's what I did. And I haven't figured out what job I'll get when I'm done, but hopefully I can find something that combines the two. So when did you begin these dual degrees? What year did you start that? Um, I started law school in 2017, and then it was a process where once you were admitted to the law school and completed your first year, you could apply to a master's program, get accepted, and then combine the degrees. So I did that. So I started law school in 2017, and then I started the master's program in 2018. And so do you do each program half-time? How do you take that many classes in two masters at the same time? Um, So actually, the law school is on semesters, and the master's program is on quarters. I don't know why. They're both the same overarching school, um, University of Denver, so I'm not sure why the two programs are on different calendars. But um, what I would do is take two or three law school classes for the semester and then take one or two art history classes per quarter. And it actually worked out pretty well because the final schedule and the major assignments weren't due at the same time since the law school was, the semester was dragged out further. And then the master's program, the quarters were about 10 weeks. So, um, It was a lot of work and there were definitely really stressful times where I questioned why I chose to do both. But um, yeah, I would do both classes at the same time. And 
the two degrees are completely separate. So the departments don't interface with each other. They don't help you coordinate any of this. This is all managed by Claire. Yes. <laughs> so um, the University of Denver as a whole has the Office of Graduate Education. And I think the idea going into it, so sorry, to back up a little bit, I'm doing the law school offers um a flexible dual degree program, and then they offer established dual degree programs. And the established dual degree programs are more like if you wanted to get a JD and an MBA or a JD and a master's of social work. So kind of those more common joint degrees. And I think for those programs, the departments do work together um, and figure out your requirements. But then DU also offers a flexible joint degree program where you can get your JD and then also um, you write a proposal for any other master's program that you want to get and explain why it would be beneficial. So I did that um, for the art history program and I was the first person to ever apply for a flexible joint degree with art history um, and the first person to get accepted to do that. So. I try to work with the Office of Graduate Education and, you know, map out what classes I would take and when and how I would fulfill all the requirements. Um, but for the most part, all they did was kind of put a check mark on my proposal and say, this looks fine to us. Um, and then the rest was me trying to figure it out and communicate between the two departments. And as far as I know, the two departments have never communicated with each other. Wow. Are you still the only one doing it? Has anyone followed along and said, oh, Claire's doing it. I can do it too. No, actually, there was one um, law student who I talked to who was really interested in doing museum law or art law, which is obviously what I'm interested in. And I got coffee with her and I was talking to her. And she said, actually, I considered doing this, um, but it seems like such a hassle to try and work with the school and meet all these requirements. And I said, you know what, it really is. Um, my recommendation would be to do them separate. And she said, okay, well, let me think about it. And she actually registered for an art history class through the art history department while she was a law student and took that class. Um, and I was in it with her. And just the process of registering for that class and getting the approval and everything was so time consuming and such a hassle that she decided that would be the only class she took in the art history department for her law degree. And she um, didn't go any further with it. So I am still the only person to do it as far as I know. You said you don't know what job you want when you're done, but if you could have your dream role, if there was a specific thing that you'd love to use your combined knowledge to do, do you have an idea of what that was? Um, I would love to be in-house counsel for an art museum, which does exist, but it is not very common. And the majority of art museums outsource to um, a law firm. So I don't know. I'm not sure realistically if I could find a job doing that. And it definitely wouldn't be a position that I would get right out of law school. It's something that I would have to work my way up to. But I think that would be my ideal position, um, being able to work in the art museum environment and with museum professionals 
but also use my legal background. So if we could talk about timeline, which we have a little bit, when the pandemic started affecting your timeline, can you can you take us back to that? Can you take us back to, I don't know, about a month before uh, the pandemic started affecting your school timeline and, and give us a sense of, you know, like January 2020 and then maybe by March 2020, what things were looking like? Yeah, so... Um... Let's see, January 2020, I was taking law classes and I think I was finishing, I must have been starting a quarter um, for my art history program. And the art history program is only 10 weeks. So I think that I finished those classes right when the pandemic hit. So I didn't actually do any of those classes online. But I remember being in class in one of my law classes. It was a trust and estates class and it was a pretty big class. So um, maybe 70 people or so. And the professor was an adjunct professor um, who was a lawyer most of the time who worked in an office. And he was very germophobic, very paranoid. Um, And right when the reports started coming out, he actually would bring in Clorox wipes and Clorox everything in the room before, you know, the 75 people came in and sat down. And occasionally during the lecture, he would even use the Clorox wipes to wipe off the mouth of his water bottle. Um, Oh. Yeah. At the time, everyone in the class just kind of looked at each other like, that was gross. You know, this guy's a little crazy. What's going on? Um, Because I don't think any of us quite realized how severe it would get. But that was kind of him wiping down the rim of his water bottle was the first time that I thought, wow, this might be different. This might be worse than I thought. So everything you were doing was face to face. And the first real hint you had that things were going to change, sort of the foreboding was this professor and his Clorox wipes. When when did you start making decisions for your your own safety, or did the school just say, we're doing a hard shutdown? Um, So actually, at the time, I was interning at the University of Denver in their Office of Intellectual Property and Technology Transfer. So, um, and I was going in person. So the office is more of like the college's university offices, you know, cubicles, um, and the support staff. And we were in the office. I think I was looking over some sort of tech transfer agreement. Um, And there are kind of like shoulder height cubicle walls, um, and it's a very open floor plan. So everyone can hear each other. Everyone's talking over the walls. And I remember the guy who um, sat next to me in our cubicle was talking, um, and he goes, University of Colorado just shut down. University of Colorado just tweeted that they're shutting down. They're closing everything. Um, And so then our entire office kind of stopped working and everyone was just talking about, you know, do you think University of Denver is going to do it? Like, because we're within 60 miles of each other, the two schools. So really when University of Colorado does something, University of Denver follows suit. Um, So we were all chattering. No one was working. We were, you know, shocked that University of Colorado would close down. 
Um, and I think within two hours, University of Denver announced that they would close after spring break because their spring break was that week. Um, and immediately everything just closed down and we went online. And I think at the time, the thought was that it would only be a week or two, but obviously it ended up being a lot longer than that. And so that's March of 2020. How do you do that pivot? You're suddenly working from home, I would assume. Yeah. So, um, Luckily for the internship that I was doing, everything was pretty much, you know, could be easily done remote. So my supervisor and I would Zoom and she'd give me assignments via email um, and things like that. So that was an easy transition. The classes were harder. Um, I did have that same professor who Cloroxed his water bottle. Um, He, I think, said to the class, before things shut down, when there were rumors that things might shut down, he said, I'm adjunct. They're not paying me enough for this. I am not teaching online. And so um, our class genuinely thought, you know, what are we going to do? This professor is just going to stop teaching. And for the first week that classes switched to online, he he didn't teach. We didn't do Zoom classes or anything. And I think the school stepped in and said, you have to teach online. Um, And that class became a Zoom class where absolutely no one in the class had their videos on. No one said anything. And I don't even think the professor had his video on. So it was just a audio class for the remainder of the semester. So some things transitioned well, some things didn't. Luckily, that class ended up being pass-fail, so that was a good thing because he didn't didn't really teach for the remainder of the semester. Oh, wow. As as someone who's spoken to a number of adjuncts, I, I know some of the inside of the incredible difficulties they went through. Um, to hear it from the student side that when it all falls apart, it can be students staring at a blank screen, professors staring back at a blank screen, and the class switched to pass fail, and just this real lack of sense on the student's part that the professor genuinely cares about the students anymore. Yeah, yeah. It did feel like, I, I think he just was confused, and he didn't know how to teach online, and he felt like, you know, how am I expected to do this? But at the same time, as students halfway through our semester, we were all kind of thinking, you know, what do we do now? Like, we need a grade for this class. And it was Trust in Estates, which is a pretty major class for law school and one that employers like to see on your transcript. So there was just a lot of how do we proceed and what do we do now and how is this going to look in the future if we don't finish this class? So there's pressure on all the students to keep making progress, to keep finishing classes and go forward. Is the school letting you know that you can stretch out your timelines? Are you all feeling personally that you'll be okay if you need to extend your timelines? Or is there just sort of a low level of panic going on? Um, You know, that's a good question. So at the time that this happened, um, So I entered law school in 2017. 
um, and law school is typically three years. So my class and my expected graduation date was 2020, so May 2020. Um, And because I added on a master's degree, that added on one year to my timeline. But all my friends and everyone I came into law school with was graduating um, in May of 2020. So all this happened right before they were graduating. So I think the general consensus was we're about to graduate anyway, you know, like we don't really care at this point if class isn't being held anymore. As long as I pass law school and graduate, it's fine. Um, For me, I felt like trust in estates is something that might be important in my future. How is this going to look on my transcript? And also there wasn't a lot of communication on what the following year would look like for continuing students. So I think it was mixed. I think there were mixed responses. Um, And a lot of the people I knew personally were just kind of feeling like, you know, that senior year, we're almost done with school. We don't really care what happens anymore. When people finish law school, they typically then have to take the bar and Mm -hmm. their ability to do well on the bar in some part depends on how much they learned at law school. Were students making that connection or in your mind, are those two very separate things to study for and deal with? Um, I think they are generally pretty connected. I think at the time, the concern for a lot of people wasn't, did I learn enough in law school because of COVID and what happened to pass the bar? It was more so like, what's going to happen with the bar? Because usually you graduate in May and then the bar is offered in July. So, um, There was a lot of questions on if the bar would happen, um, if it would happen in person, if it would be held online somehow, which um, the legal profession in general is pretty outdated and pretty um, stuck in traditions of the past. So the bar had never been administered online before. So I think the general feeling among people who were about to take the bar was, what's going to happen? How are we going to do this? Um, Should I defer? Should I not take the bar in July? Should I defer until February when the pandemic might be over? Um, Yeah, I think there were just more questions about what to do. And so for you, you're trying to finish out this, what's now become an incredibly weird semester. And you're looking forward to summer and you have some fairly significant plans for summer of 2020. Do you want to tell us about those plans and what decisions you were trying to make about what, if any of those plans could go forward? (laughs) Yeah. So um, we had been planning a wedding for July, 2020. Um, So that was really the big thing on my mind. And when everything first closed down in March, I genuinely thought by July, things would be fine. I didn't really have a lot of concerns about the wedding But as things progressed um, and cases started rising, it became clear that our wedding was not going to happen the way that we had expected. And we weren't going to be able to have, you know, 150 guests. So that was a big adjustment to have to realize that our wedding wasn't going to happen and then figure out a backup plan. And in the moment, we had already paid a lot of our deposits for the wedding. So 
it wasn't, uh, oh, we'll just cancel and be done. It was, we've paid a lot of money for this. We need to pick a new date. And our, our venue and all of our vendors were saying, if you pick a new date, um, we will keep your deposits and you won't lose any money. So we looked at the venue's calendar and they were booked up until August, 2021. So um, really out of panic, we picked the next available date for our wedding, which was August 15th, 2021. Um, and that was really stressful. And especially with my degrees, I was supposed to, or I am supposed to graduate May, 2021. Um, and then typically you would take the bar exam in July. So now I was postponing our wedding until two weeks after my bar exam, which is a lot, um, a lot to deal with, a lot to think about. And that was something we had very deliberately planned to get married in 2020 when the bar exam and graduation and finding a job wouldn't be an issue where we could focus just on the wedding. So that was, that was a big personal thing to try and figure out because of the pandemic. And I'm still figuring so, it out. I'm not sure how this year will play out either. So when you got engaged in 2019, you all had a very deliberate discussion about spacing out these massive life milestones that one summer would be for getting married, the next summer would be for graduating from both um, master's programs and taking the bar and then life changed that completely. So what did you do in July of 2020? Um, so we were both really bummed, really sad about the idea of postponing our wedding for another pretty much year and a half at that point. Um, we had already been engaged for over a year, so it felt like this is just getting dragged out. Um, so at the time, we decided to just have a small ceremony with our immediate families on our original wedding date and get legally married. And then we would have our big celebration in August 2021. So that's what happened. It ended up being really nice. Um, it was a really beautiful day. It was not what we expected or planned for at all, but it did end up being really special. And I, looking back, I wouldn't change it. And you got to wear the dress. Um, actually, I bought a different dress. <laughs> oh, so the, the original plan will go forward with the original dress and the July uh, new wedding had a new dress. Yes. Yeah. I, I wanted to be able to share photos of our small wedding without revealing what my original wedding dress looks like. So yeah, at the time that we have our August wedding, I'll have had my wedding dress in our closet for over two years, just waiting to be worn. Can I ask if it was possible to keep it a secret from the groom for two years? So far, yes. I don't think he's seen it. It's in our closet, so I, maybe he's been sneaky. But I don't think so. I don't think he's seen it. Well, that's a pandemic triumph right there. I know. <laughs> I am pretty, pretty proud of that. So when all this stuff is happening, how is that affecting your, your mental well-being, your sense of community? How do you hold it together 
personally. We've talked about how you hold it together academically. How do you hold it together personally or do you? Um, 2020 was really hard for me. I think most of it was the wedding, but it was it was just a really stressful time because not only is everything shut down, so you're sitting at home alone all day, um, and my husband works in person, and he had a job that was considered essential, so he was out of the house every day. So I was just home alone. Um, I was the one who was pretty much responsible, not responsible, but the one contacting all the vendors and everyone for our wedding. So all of that was falling on me. Um, and I was just, I was having a hard time because I felt really sad about this loss of like this major life event, the wedding. And then at the same time, you're stressed out about, you know, does, is everyone I love going to be okay? Um, you know, my family lives in Illinois. And at the time, Illinois was getting hit really hard with COVID cases. I think it was one of the top few states. Um, so w- there was that thought, are they going to be okay? Is everyone going to be around for our wedding that is postponed a year and a half from now? You know, so it was definitely really stressful. Um, and I had a I had a hard time. It gradually got better as things started improving, but there were still a lot of unknowns and like, you know, am I going to graduate on time? Is our wedding going to happen? You know, um, is, or am I going to be able to take the bar? Am I going to be able to find a job? I had a lot of friends whose job offers were rescinded, especially in museums. The museum industry was shut down. So in my mind, I was thinking, I'm literally getting a master's degree in art history and museums. Am I going to be able to find a job after this? Um, And it isn't until recently that a lot of museums have opened back up. So they've taken a hit. So um, there were just a lot of really big questions that I didn't know how they would turn out. I had an internship planned for last summer that got canceled. So yeah, it was it was stressful, a lot of unknowns, a lot of questions, a lot of rearranging expectations. So how do you create a support system for yourself? Because that is an enormous amount of stress coming at you from, it sounds like, every avenue of your life. Yeah, so I am lucky. I have a great husband. He is really supportive. Um, I cry to him so often and he's just like, it's okay. It'll all be okay. I call my mom a lot. Last year, every time I called my mom, I think I ended up crying. So she was great and she would just sit there and listen to me and talk to me and tell me everything's going to be okay. Um, So I think family was really important and being able to talk to them and see them and just have that support system. I did have some friends around who we would see occasionally um, in person later in the year. So like maybe July and on, we started hanging out in person of just a small group of, I think it was eight or 10 of us. Um, But during the height of the pandemic, we would be on FaceTime um, or Zoom. Actually, at the height of the pandemic, I talked to so many people that I hadn't talked to in years. I, we, I saw high school friends via Zoom. I saw college friends via Zoom. 
Um, I talked to family members via Zoom that I hadn't seen in several years. So actually, it did feel like this point where we were all at home and this point that we were all having a hard time, everyone felt like reconnecting with people that we hadn't talked to in a while. So that was really nice and a good opportunity to reconnect with people. Um, And I think that provided a good support system. It sounds like with your mom and with your then fiance and now husband, that they were really good at holding space for you. They didn't try to fix you. They just let you cry and gave you gentle reassurances, but they continue to hold a space for you. It sounds like that was really one of the crucial supports that you had. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to put it. They were really great listeners during that time. It can be really hard for people who do well uh, in school to deal with unknowns. We have spent so many years dealing with a syllabus, and we know that if we get everything done on time and we follow this certain set of directions, we're going to get a certain outcome, and we can kind of get a mindset that we keep earning our way through these things. Was there any kind of crisis like that for you where you you were like, but I did everything right. I planned everything. I did everything. How could this have happened? Or are you more of a person who kind of expects there's going to be a lot of unknowns? How did this work for you with your unique personality? Oh, yeah. I would love to say that I'm laid back and easygoing, but um, I don't think I am. I think like a lot of law students, I am very type A. I want to know what's going to happen. I want to have a plan. Um, I want to have at least a general idea of what the future is going to look like. So yeah, when COVID hit and everything changed, it was really hard for me to accept that, especially with things like the wedding, because in my head, I had planned it all out. Everything was going to work. You know, we had all these people who said that they were so excited to come out for the wedding. Um, Everything was lined up. My graduation, I had it figured out. I was going to graduate in this month and then I was going to take the bar, you know, in this month. And once COVID hit, none of that was for certain anymore. And I had no idea what the next year was going to look like. And especially, um, I'd say at the beginning of 2021, actually, was the worst of the unknowns because we had rescheduled our wedding for August, but, you know, cases were still high and the vaccine wasn't out yet. So we didn't know if our wedding would happen in August. Um, We didn't know if I was going to graduate on time. We didn't know if I'd be able to take the bar in July. You know, there were just a lot of unknowns. We didn't know Um, where we'd be living because our lease is up in June and we hadn't figured that out because we didn't know all these other steps. So yeah, I think I had a hard time with the unknown. And we're taping now in uh, May of 2021. So some of your timeline is now coming together for you, but it sounds like a lot of it after months and months and months of things being shut down and uncertain, it sounds like a lot of life events are going to be happening for you fairly quickly. You've got law school graduation coming up very soon. And then this summer, you'll complete your your master's in art history and take the bar. And right in that very constricted timeline, there will also be your wedding. How does that feel knowing that after a long time of almost 
my feeling was almost feeling like I was in quicksand. You just couldn't really take a step forward and pull your foot all the way out of what was holding you down. Um, and now you have all of these steps forward coming boom, boom, boom in a row. How are you feeling about that? Um, you know, it's exciting, but it's really overwhelming. I actually am not going to take the bar in July. So that was my original plan. Um, but the idea of graduating, finishing my master's thesis paper, taking the bar and getting married within, I think really it's the end of May to early August. So a two month time span. Um, and we're going to move. Um, we bought a house actually. So we're also moving in August. So all of those big things within a two month time span was just too much for my brain to, you know, I can comprehend it, but too much for me to just like almost emotionally handle. So, um, I decided to defer my bar exam until February, 2021 or sorry, 2022, um, which takes a little of the burden off for having to do so much this summer, but it also drags out my timeline another eight months or so, which is a bit of a bummer. But at the same time, I think I'll be more successful on the bar exam and hopefully pass if I have more time to devote solely to it. So there were some adjustments um, of these exciting things and acknowledging that it is a lot at once. And realistically, I don't know if I can do it all. It sounds like when you space out your timeline a bit, especially pushing the bar back, you're going to give yourself headspace not only to move forward, but to sort of digest all that led up to that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It really is a lot to process. I would imagine all of us are going to be processing what the pandemic meant for years to come, really. it's Sometimes it's hard when you're in the midst of something to really understand the totality of what you're in the midst of. And it sounds like for you, you want to be able to really be present in these life events that are coming up. And that that's something that's been a bit of a challenge for all of us, not, not just you. Yeah, yeah. No, it is... It is really important to me to have these life events, um, especially like graduation. I get an in-person graduation this year, which I am incredibly thankful for because I do feel like it is a big life event and it's something that you want to acknowledge and absorb and have that moment. And I feel bad for everyone last year who didn't get those moments. And I feel the same way about our wedding, that it is such a big life event. And I was so sad that it got canceled and it really felt like I was grieving the loss of this major life event that I didn't know if it would happen or not. So I do want to be present and um, have that opportunity this year to celebrate with friends and family and just for ourselves to absorb it and acknowledge it as it's happening. And I didn't want to be stressed out by the bar exam during all of that. And you've mentioned that you need to write a master's thesis for your master's degree in art history. And um, often we're taught as academics not to tell people too much about our thesis because they don't really want to hear. But the great thing is this is the Academic Life channel. So we'd love to hear, what is your thesis about? Um, my thesis paper is actually about gothic, or sorry, grotesque contemporary fashion. So, um, 
think like Alexander McQueen, kind of like these grotesque images and how they, how the fashion and the designers might manipulate the female form um, to create these forms that aren't natural or are almost grotesque or, um, you know, just don't appear this beautiful, fashionable form that we usually associate with high fashion. So um, really diving into grotesque theory and grotesque art history scholars um, and tying it into contemporary fashion design. Uh, And more specifically, when I say contemporary, more 1990s, early 2000s. Um, Yeah, so it should be interesting. I have written the proposal, but I haven't actually written or begun the paper yet. So I have a lot of details to work out, but um, I'm excited about it. I think the grotesque gets a lot of hate for being ugly or, you know, gross, but, but I don't think that's true. I think it's a really interesting concept and um, especially in fashion, it's really interesting how these designers can manipulate the human form. It sounds like there'll be a fair amount of gender theory in the analysis of these images. Yes. Um, So I have four designers that I'm focusing on. Three are women and one is a male. Um, The only male is Alexander McQueen, but um, I am focusing on the female form in particular. So yes, um, I think there is going to have to be quite a bit of gender theory and um, thinking about the male gaze on the female form as well as you know, the female form as a a way to express yourself, but also what does it mean when the male is the one dressing them or conversely, if it's a female designer dressing a female body, you know, what does that mean and how does that affect its meaning? So what inspired you to do this topic? Um, I took a grotesque art history class that really talked about topics in the grotesque and grotesque theory. And I was, we read this scholar named Mikhail Bakhtin. I'm probably butchering his name, but he's a Russian philosopher. Um, And he wrote a lot about the grotesque and the grotesque body in particular. And I just found it really fascinating. especially compared to the classical body. So the classical body is kind of what you think of when you think of ancient Greek or ancient Roman statues or, you know, um, the statue David, just very smooth bodily forms. Everything is very um, nice and put together. And um, it's like a clean facade of how you wish the body would look. But in reality, the human body is not this clean, beautiful thing all the time. You have orifices and you have bodily functions and you have all these things that are happening that for a long time were hidden in art history. Um, And the grotesque kind of brings those out and brings those to life. And I think in my mind, I really equated that comparison to fashion because in the 1940s and 50s and even 60s, you have, you know, like the classic designers like Chanel um, 
and Dior and Saint Laurent coming into light and they have very clean forms that are meant to mask the body. Um, A lot of them have very straight silhouettes on the female form that kind of hide the breasts and hide just the body in general. Um, And then in the 90s and early 2000s, when you have kind of the emergence of feminist theory, not the emergence, but like a growth in feminist theory, um, you begin to get these designers that really emphasize just the realities of the human body. So you start to see the pregnant female form, which is something that you never saw before. Um, And you start to see kind of like lumps and bumps in clothing. Like for example, the 80s shoulder pads that kind of change the female form into something more masculine or something that is not actually shaped like. And in that sense, it's grotesque. It's manipulating the form into a non-classical body. So that's what I thought was really interesting. And I'd like to elaborate on those concepts. And so you've got your proposal in, and now you have to write the thesis itself. How how many pages are you expecting the thesis to be? How long does it have to be? Um, For my specific master's program, it is supposed to be... 50 pages, um, and then that's it. We don't do an oral defense or anything. It's just the paper. And then are the visual images separate or are they included in the 50 pages? Um, They're not included in the 50 pages, but they would be attached, so additional pages for images. And then once you hand that in, that's the conclusion. You don't have to defend it. You don't have to, there's no step after that. Yes. Yeah. We do have advisors who have to, you know, read through it and it has to be accepted as your final paper. But once um, it's accepted, then that is the end of your master's program and you're eligible for graduation. So then do you walk through another graduation ceremony? Will you do that in August? Um, Technically, I could. I haven't decided if I'm going to or not. Um, But yes, technically I would have another graduation ceremony. Well, you'll have so many people in town for the wedding, you'd have a good crowd. That's true. That's very true. (laughs) I didn't even think of that. What do you hope um, the pandemic lessons that you've gathered here, what do you hope of those will go forward with you? Um, I think the biggest one that I've been trying to tell myself is that everything will work out. It's okay to have the unknown um, and things will work out in the end. And, you know, whether they do or don't, I, I have to tell myself that they will. You know, that old adage that everything happens for a reason. I don't know that I fully believe that, but I think because of the pandemic, I've been trying to tell myself there is a reason, even if you don't know it, or maybe you have to look for the reason, like something good has come out of this. Um, So that's really the main thing that I've tried to take out of the pandemic is that there is a reason behind everything, even if you have to search for it. You know, our wedding was not ideal that it got canceled, but we did have a really nice intimate ceremony that was not something that would have happened if COVID didn't exist. Um, So I'm thankful for that. 
and I'm thankful that I've really had time to process everything um, and finish school and have a chance to figure things out along the way. So hopefully going forward, I'll remember those lessons, but I, I really am a planner and I want to know how things are going to work out in the future, but you really just, you don't know. And I think I've learned that from COVID. How to be okay with when plans don't work out. Yeah. What do you hope this episode sparks for listeners? Um, I think just that everyone's path is different and things don't always work out like you expect. And I think one of the hardest things for me coming out of law school right now is that I don't have a job lined up. I am potentially not, or I'm not taking the bar until February, 2022. Um, and that's not a path that any of my friends took. I'm the first one to do that out of my friend group. Um, I'm the first one to do this dual degree program and it was challenging but I've made it work. So I think just pursue your own path and know that everything will work out in some way or form in the end. As long as you're being true to your own path. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Claire Summerfield, and giving us your pandemic perspective. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler. You've been listening to The Academic Life on New Books Network. Please. Join us again.